We're recording. Okay. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Uh, we are back once again after a short hiatus. Eric Namchak with you alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Uh, we're off the air for a couple weeks. Is Stephen getting settled in his new his new uh, apartment? His new house? Is it, is it a house? Is it an apartment? Is it? Oh, it's an apartment. Yeah. It's a small area. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> so, you doing okay though? Yeah, hanging in. Uh, nice to be recording again. It's been a couple of weeks since we connected live, released obviously an episode from a few months back, and nice to be back at it. Yeah, and a couple of weeks during this truncated season, um, a lot happens. <laughs> a lot happens. So, But we haven't really recapped any games in a little while, and we've been itching to do that. So as per usual, we are going to you know talk about a few games from this past weekend, and uh, we got some good ones. First one we're going to talk about, maybe not so good. Oh, good for Steven, because... Connecticut Sun versus Indiana Fever. His son won uh, 96 to 77. Not particularly close. Uh, Sun scored 120, 124.7 points per 100 possessions. Fever just 101.3. Connecticut led basically the whole way. They led by as many as 22. They are now 8-1 against teams below them in the standings, which is Dallas, Washington, Indiana, Atlanta, and New York. Steven, is this bum slaying, or are they just getting things together? Uh, probably a little bit of both. You know, I think in some of those games against better competition they have uh had their moments you know they hung tough for a little while against seattle before things kind of fell apart against vegas they you know were just kind of they they didn't have the horses you know they were missing some players but you know those are the the games that you want to win right when you have the talent advantage not letting those games slip away or, or kind of look past them is just as important as as kind of taking care of you know the teams that are probably better than you from a talent perspective that's exactly right. And I think there are, the tiers have been established pretty clearly. The, the Sun are not a, a contender, but they're also not a lottery team. And that's pretty obvious by that record. And by the result of this game, to me, I mean, I think the Sun really set the tone from the beginning, what, what stood out to me, uh, especially their defense. Throughout the entire game, they recorded 13 steals. 13 of the 19 indie turnovers were Connecticut steals. I mean, they got the pace going early, which as I, as I believe strongly, it remains absolutely crucial to them especially because like they're not as much of a half-court team as they used to be, or they can't really slog through it as well. What were your first impressions from this game from the Connecticut side? Well, just that when the opportunity was there, I thought they really pushed the tempo well. They got out in transition, you know, playing off misses, making sure that they're running down uh, a team who, you know, does not really want to play in, in transition, particularly defensively. And we'll get to kind of some of uh, Indiana's defensive transition issues uh, a little bit later, but they, as they so often do, leaned very heavily on on kind of their top players, particularly uh, Bonner and Thomas, but also uh, a huge game from from Bree Jones on both ends of the court. And I thought, particularly in a starters versus starters scenario, you know, things kind of fell apart a little bit there in certain bench lineups. But Connecticut did a really good job on Kelsey Mitchell. They did. Uh, Kelsey Mitchell just six to fifteen from the field. She did hit four three pointers, but I mean she didn't really seem to be that much of a, a threat going to the hoop. You know, we, we've talked about her improvement as far as, you know, in transition and, and taking it to the basket off the dribble, but they did a nice job of limiting her. I think the sun really just established their will. Like, you know, this team is not going to hit a lot of three pointers, but it, it just looked like they wanted, they, their offense got to where they wanted to go for the most part. You know, they had 25 or six assists to just six turnovers, which is really, really impressive. Um, they shot 22 free throws. They got 52 points in the paint. Just an overall very strong effort from a Sun team that relies on its physicality, right? I think, you know, part of this is, is 
the Indiana defense not being great, which we'll get to. But I think the Sun looked pretty sharp for the most part and just did what they had to do. Yeah, and you mentioned the points in the paint. The, the broadcast at one point had mentioned uh, as when it was 45-32 Connecticut leading that they Connecticut already had 26 points in the paint. So, uh, you know, Connecticut definitely in terms of just like the proportion of their points, like they are way up there in terms of, you know, how many of their points come from in the paint. And uh, Alyssa Thomas and uh, Duana Bonner and Bree Jones, obviously, you know, a huge, huge factor in that regard. Bonner not really taking as many threes as she had early in her career. And, and Thomas and Bree Jones are pretty much exclusively uh, paint players offensively. So, and, you know, the Indiana front court just really didn't have any answers for them. They didn't. Uh, Bree Jones, 20 points on 9 of 12 shooting. Alyssa Thomas, 20 points on 8 of 13 shooting. Five steals for Alyssa Thomas. Really, really amazing game defensively for her. And they did get Jasmine Thomas back as well. She had a pretty, she had a pretty solid game. You know, seven assists, three turnovers in 23 minutes of play. She has plantar fasciitis, so I think her minutes are going to be reduced, you know, heading forward anyway. But what did you think of Jasmine Thomas's game? It was okay. I thought she was really good on Kelsey Mitchell on the ball. You know, whatever Mitchell was able to kind of get against either, well, particularly against Thomas, but also January to a less lesser extent was either coming off screens or as a catch and shoot player, you know, anything Mitchell was able to do on the ball, you know, she really did that against Charles and Jasmine Thomas really, you know, I thought she had a really good defensive game and kind of, you know, eased her way back into it a little bit offensively you know, four for seven from the field, uh, took some largely kind of lived in like the mid range long two area, but she was, she was really good. She had a Jasmine Thomas game, I would say. And, uh, she is also playing next to Brienne January. Once again, I I think for me, Brienne January didn't, she didn't make any shots from the field, but I, I feel like she's a really important piece to this team because if Jasmine Thomas is limited, she can take backup point guard and you can move Natisha Heideman off the ball. Or if, if she's playing off guard, she can, you know, be that, trailer or the or the wing threat from the three which is already better than someone like you know Bria Holmes who teams are just going to ignore right yeah and that's something that I kind of wanted to get to a a little bit later on but we might as well touch on it now that you brought it up like Brian January is is so important to this team I think because of what you had just said like Natisha Heideman at this point in her career offensively is not like an on-ball point guard you know she definitely should be more of a spot-up player she's a pretty decent three-point shooter but but she cannot do anything in terms of like creating off the dribble, getting by her defender. So that kind of um, the pressure that Brienne January is able to, to uh, kind of relieve her from at, in terms of running the offense. And, you know, in my opinion, Kurt Miller should probably leave one of Thomas in January on the floor at all times. I agree. Um, and unless they're really going to have like Alyssa Thomas run the backup point guard or something, which uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend in, in regular season minutes, but you know, one of those two should be playing. And, you know, the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, it's just nice to see this starting five from Connecticut. It's not really something we've seen a ton of, if if at all. I'm not sure if this five has started a group yet. You know, Thomas, January, Bonner, Alyssa Thomason, um, Bree Jones. Like, this is their five best players. Like, you know, no more messing around. No more, you know, Bria Holmes or, or Charles in, in the lineup, the starting lineup. Like, these are your five best players, and these are the the players you should have you know, playing the most minutes and, and starting for you. Yeah, uh, I mean, Kyla Charles did play 15 minutes. <laughs> Alyssa Thomas, 37 minutes. So everything is back to normal. Um, Essence Carson played sparingly. Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, DNP. Teresa Plaisant's DNP. Uh, for me, like, it, it's going to sound bad to say this, but I think this is also a case of 
not playing players who aren't really going to contribute anything. You know, Brianne January is still a contributor in this point in her career. She didn't shoot well, but she had eight assists to zero, or sorry, six assists to zero turnovers. That's pretty good. That's pretty efficient. Clean and, she, Lewis, and she yeah. hounded Julie Allemand also. She like, did. Terrific uh, backcourt defensively, January and Thomas. It's, it's really fun to watch them work together. Um, but yeah, Essence Carson, not really going to contribute much. Uh, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, in my opinion, has been one of the worst players in the league this season. Teresa Plaisance, I don't even know if she's healthy. You know, it's just a matter of getting, like, your best players on the court. It's funny. Not, she's healthy enough to play in garbage time, usually, you know, so. Go figure. Go figure. And there was plenty of garbage time in this game, too. It's like, it wasn't, it was, they, they led by as many as 22. It was double digits, like, basically the whole second half. Um, but whatever. Um, yeah, Sunshine over 50% from the field. Indiana Fever, uh, not great. No, it was not great. Um, you, you had mentioned before we move on uh, a couple of things I just wanted to touch on quickly. Like, oh, okay. Uh, Beatrice Montpremier, you had mentioned she she played about 11 minutes, but really played all, like eight of those minutes in the first half and then really didn't come back in until garbage time. Essence Carson didn't come in until garbage time. Um, so, yeah, let, let's move on to the, the fever here. Um, and one thing that uh, I, I just kind of wanted to talk about was Tiara McCowan and Candice Dupree's game, uh, just really discouraging from both of those players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, from a wider perspective, like it was another atrocious defensive effort by the Fever. Um, for synergy, they're the worst team in the, in the WNBA defending the pick and roll. And teams are exploiting it because they're also the most frequently defended. How do I word this? 38.8% of the possessions against the Fever are pick and rolls uh, approximately, which is most in the WNBA. So teams know this. Like they know they can't defend the pick and roll. To me, this game really exposed the Fever's lack of mobility and playmaking on defense, Dupree and McCowan in particular, because the Sun aren't really a team that can spread you out in the half court. But in this game, they were still able to get to their spots pretty much whenever they wanted. Like, Alyssa Thomas was consistently overpowering Dupree. Tier McCowan, still very poor mechanically. You know, she's either going to, you know, give up a layup or foul to somebody who's coming off the ball screen. It's just, like you said, discouraging. And in a career full of them, like this was maybe the worst defensive game I've ever seen from Tierra McCowan. She was, uh, you know, terrible, to be honest with you. Like there was one possession where Bria Holmes drives uh, middle coming off a pick on the left side, like with uh, uh, Alyssa Thomas pick and roll. And McCowan is on the right block, like guarding Beatrice Montpremier, who's like spacing out to the elbow. And McCowan doesn't even react until Holmes is already driving right by her and she's past her and McCowan just kind of swats at it, you know, for a no chancer. And, you know, Connecticut probably didn't even put her in pick as pick and roll as much as I would have liked them to, but when they did, it did not go well. Uh, you know, she did have a couple of nice moments offensively McCowan did, but uh, on Bree Jones and mom premier in particular, but Bree Jones like gave it right back to her a number of times. And, yeah. you know, the, the big thing about Tier McCowan, typically is like her inability to defend in space, but Bree Jones just put her in the weight room a few times. Like she just absolutely put her in the goal. She um, drove by her baseline a few times. Like she just had no answer for Bree Jones. Yeah. It's not like Bree Jones is, is the flash out there either. It's just with McCowan, I, I feel like in a matchup like this, she should just be able to stay vertical. I mean, she was able to grab, I think a couple offensive rebounds over Bree Jones just because of her height. But as far as the defense is concerned, like, she's massive. She's what six foot seven, six foot eight, and not a skinny six foot seven to six foot eight either. So if she just stays vertical, she is plenty disruptive. You know, if she's swatting at these things out of control and, you know, not really uh, establish her feet, 
it's just doing more harm than good. And it's, it's just been a problem all year. And she didn't even really like play strong in this game. I, I didn't think like, as I mentioned, like Bree Jones, um, just outstrengthed her on a number of plays offensively. You know, she had a really nice drop step on her. Like Alyssa Thomas knocked her off her spot one time uh, and just like finished for a pretty, pretty easy layup. And, um, you know, there were a couple of times where McCown just like looked the wrong way when, when the ball, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's, it, was, it was very, very discouraging. Um, and as you said, there, there were a couple of times where she, I think she had four offensive rebounds in this game. So, you know, she's almost become like a character caricature of herself where the things that she does well, she continues to do really well and, and everything else is just awful to be completely I mean, honest. she's not even blocking that many shots anymore either. Like yeah. she's that far out of position. Yeah. Um, the fever defense, by the way, giving up 112 points per hundred possessions. Um, I believe that would, if the season ended today, that'd be the worst defensive rating in WNBA history. Would you believe that? I mean, yeah, I would. <laughs> it's hard to believe, but I would believe it after watching this game. Um, and, you know, while we're on the subject, I thought this was a miserable game for Candace Dupree on defense, you know, in half-court defense, in transition defense. I just thought her effort was was really bad. There were a couple of times where she made it all the way back in transition. But, um, you know, 35 minutes for Candace Dupree, 20 minutes for Kennedy Burke. And, you know, I didn't think Kennedy Burke did some amazing job out there, but like Dupree's 36 and Kennedy Burke is 23 and this team has five wins. Like, what are we doing? Well, I mean, Candace Dupree's out there to score the ball, right? You would think not for her defense. And when you're giving up this many points, you know, this has nothing to do with defense, but remember when Candace Dupree, the start of the season, she said she was going to start shooting threes this year and people were like freaking out. Like, Oh my God, she's finally shooting threes. She hasn't taken a three-pointer in two weeks. She has not made a three-pointer since the second game of the season. So, yeah, I don't know what happened there. Um, Fever, nine for 22 on three-pointers, six of them coming from their starting backcourt of Julia Alleman and Kelsey Mitchell. Um, Like, Alleman, eight assists to four turnovers. I I don't know. I don't think either of them them were that effective in this one. No, they weren't. But, you know, as I was saying, Dupree has like a a decade and a half on on Kennedy Burke and, you know, nominally you're fighting for a playoff spot but you have won like 27 percent of your game so maybe you should just play the young player that could present some potential and you know is nominally a three-point shooter at least even though she did go 0 for three in this one uh and is at least a little bit of a defensive playmaker you know in this matchup in particular like Alyssa thomas would and did just put her in the goal but she was doing that to dupree also so you know there's not all that much of a difference there so and it bears mentioning uh, Lauren Cox did not play in this game. She had, I believe, an ankle injury, like maybe it was an ankle. I don't know. I don't have the exact uh, uh, thing on that. But, yeah, Lauren Cox didn't play. But even so, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know, dude. It's What is actually this team currently good at? That's my question. Like, they get to the line at a decent rate, but they give up even more than they get there. So it's not like they even have an advantage at the free throw line. I don't. What yeah, are the they're, fever they're, good at? they're good at having Kelsey Mitchell, who is a tremendous <laughs> offensive player and um, brings with her a, a ton of gravity and, you know, not, not much else, to be honest with you. And I, if she's cold, you know, yeah. I mean, which has happened in the, in the past. She's cooled off a little bit. So, uh, yeah. I mean, so I overall, yeah, Indiana, uh, 19 shots in the paint through three quarters um, and 35 for Connecticut. So they just absolutely dominated inside. Uh, I did want to talk about Bree Jones uh, just a little bit more. Yeah, go um, for it. Nine for 12 from the field, as you mentioned. Eight for 10 
in the paint, four offensive rebounds. I thought she had some really nice moments in, in pick and roll defense, particularly, uh, you know, with Kelsey Mitchell out there. You know, she did give up an and one to Mitchell, but um, she contested well on a couple of Kelsey Mitchell pull-ups, uh, particularly early in, in the game, had a nice play of verticality on another Kelsey Mitchell pick and roll drive uh, pretty late in there. And then, as we mentioned before, um, her – I guess, kind of domination of Tierra McGowan, surprisingly yeah. enough. Um, um, anything else you kind of wanted to – oh, one, one other thing I, I maybe wanted to say uh, with regards to kind of how the Sun approached this one. Uh, they started the game with Jasmine Thomas guarding Kelsey Mitchell in the first half, and then towards this uh, – to start the second half, they had Breon January guarding Kelsey Mitchell, and I like Thomas a little bit better there. Um, you know, both of them I thought were, were kind of effective or, or pretty effective, I should say. But, you know, Thomas in January have pretty similar defensive skill sets, I would say. But Thomas is just a little bit better at all of them. You know what I mean? She's like a little bit better getting around screen. She's a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger. So um, I'm not really sure what kind of prompted that change for Kurt Miller. And it didn't really come back to kill him or anything. But I think, you know, Thomas is just a little bit better for a Kelsey Mitchell type. Well, we'll see what happens moving forward because this Indiana Fever team, you know, Mitchell is a threat to get into the paint and, and finish at the rim now, but it's the starting backcourt is still going to shoot, look to shoot a lot of three-pointers. If you're going up against a team that, you know, their backcourt, you know, is, is more paint-bound or, or more dribble penetration oriented, maybe that'll – so you think you think Jasmine Thomas is a better defender than Brian January all around? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, January is is very good, but maybe – just kind of slightly on the decline defensively and, and Thomas is, you know, probably the same as she ever was. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. Um, all right. Moving on, I guess, uh, to Sunday. Uh, well, a couple other things I just wanted to say. Why not? <laughs> uh, sorry, very quickly. You're good. 7.8% um, turnover rate for Connecticut compared to 25% for Indiana. And Alyssa Thomas played the entire game up until the three minutes left when uh, Kurt Miller emptied out his bench. But that's about it. Is this just is this just a thing that's just going to keep happening? Like I hope so. I love it. I mean, <laughs> keep keep her out there. She she can do it. You know, we saw her. You know, you know we've seen her get fatigued every now and then, but um, it doesn't seem to be as um, as big of an issue as it was early in the season. Yeah, the fatigue you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And you know, everyone's kind of getting their wind back. Um, uh, sorry, one other thing. <laughs> one last thing. <laughs> I promise. Okay. That. Um. Indiana offensively 12th in transition efficiency and frequency. Um, uh, that's bad. That's bad. Yeah, we, we like to see teams get out and run. And uh, as I texted you yesterday, uh, Tierra McCowan, who I promise we are done uh, criticizing for this episode, a uh, one transition possession this season. That many, well, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. We can move on. Okay. We can move on. All right. So moving on to Sunday. Um, so, just a quick aside, uh, Stephen and I, we, we choose which games we talk about, we're going to talk about beforehand. Maybe not the best strategy, but it keeps us, you know, organized with our notes and everything like that. Uh, Stephen said, let's take, uh, let's talk about the Dallas Wings and the Washington Mystics because we haven't really talked about them since the start of the season. I said, okay, um, this game was maybe one of the best games of the season. I mean, it was one of the best games of the season. It has broken the Double Down WNBA podcast curse of us picking a game to cover and ending up being a blowout. Uh, Wings 101, Mystics 94 in overtime. Wings 116.1 offensive rating, Mystics 105.6. 
this is a critical game for both teams because Dallas entered it a half game ahead of Washington for the number eight seed. And I was a little worried about that because I felt the game could be kind of tanky, but instead it was extremely competitive. Um, it came down to two teams just slugging it out in the fourth quarter with, you know, blow for blow. You know, you had Marina maybe missing a layup with eight seconds remaining, but Enrique Gunvalle taking the ball off the court after a missed free throw that hit a three to send it to overtime, just completely took the game over. Um, yeah, Wings now a game and a half ahead of the Washington and two games ahead of Indiana and Atlanta for that number eight seed. A lot to break down here, Stephen. You were uh, praising this game as one of the best you've seen. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, let's let's kind of start early on uh, with some of the starters. What, what were your first thoughts when you saw that Katie Lou Samuelson would be getting her first career start in this one? Uh, my first thought was why. Uh, I, I didn't understand it. I mean – she did hit a couple three-pointers like early, early in the game that forced the Washington timeout. So, I mean, all's well that ends well, I guess. But who, once again, who is she defending? You know, I mean, she was on Emma Miesemann for a lot of the game. And, you know, that, that worked out about as well as you thought it would. Um, she didn't I mean, they, they killed her defensively this game. They absolutely like went after her. She had some nice plays with her hands, um, you know, forcing steals and deflections. But uh, you had mentioned before, like Miesemann went after her early, uh, had like a nice drop step throughout the game. Um, they, whenever they, um, whenever she was out there and you mentioned she hit her first, uh, her first two shots of the game, but she didn't make another one in her nope. 25 minutes after that. And um, yeah, they, they really kind of made her defend in space frequently and she did not do that very well. It's just very strange to me. Like, you, you said she made some good plays with her hands. I agree. But I don't think her hands have ever been the problem. Like, she's got those long arms. She's, it seems like she, she's pretty decent at anticipating plays in the backcourt, like to after team inbounds. Because um, I've seen in, in previous games, she her get uh, her hands on a couple, you know, lazy passes, inbound passes, and, and get steals. But it's just her feet. Like, she just can't move her feet well enough um, with people moving off the basketball. She doesn't have enough girth to defend people like Emma Miesemann in the post. And it's just a problem. I don't understand what the Wings are doing with the starting lineup because, once again, a student dude, she played a minute and a half. Um, Megan Gustafson, DNP. Bella Allery, nine minutes. So it's like <sighs> they invested so much money in some of these players like before the season even started, and now they can't find minutes for them while they're playing musical chairs with the four spot. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand what kind of advantage this is supposed to give them. You know, Obviously, Samuelson will stretch the defense, but – can she do it effectively enough to overcome the constant targeting that she's going to be, you know, she's going to be targeted all the time on defense. I don't think that was the case in this game. Fortunately, you know, I, they were able to get some decent contributions elsewhere, but go ahead. Well, I was, I, I, I disagree with you slightly with the, uh, a studio thing. You know, I just don't think she's really their, their best option. Not that Katie Lou Samuelson is, but um, you know, a stew, I don't really think she has brought a ton to them in the minutes that she has been given. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. It's just, it, I'm just kind of bewildered that they would kind of totally give up on her. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think she'd be playing like she'd be getting, she'd be racking up DNPs, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me, the process. Sure. Um, and the other thing of, about just starting Samuelson in this game, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but like, I thought this was a pretty good opponent to continue what they had been doing the last three games of starting, starting Thornton and Sabley together as the front court combination. Like, why is this the matchup to go with Katie Lou? Because they 
also have a slow white player. Like I, I don't understand <laughs> why, like what made Katie Lou the option here. Um, but I don't know. I'm not a coach. So no, neither am I. So I can't say anything. Uh, but yeah, you, you mentioned Satu Sabali at the five. Um, that's something that they haven't been doing. Another game of double digit free throw attempts for her. I don't think the five is ideal for her. Um, I actually don't think she played that well in a lot of this game. Um, I don't think she made a lot of good decisions with the basketball, particularly on offense. Uh, she just seems kind of out of sorts whenever she gets the ball, like isolated back there. Um, but she does present some matchup problems that you would expect, particularly going up against a player like Emma Miesemann. Um, She's doing pretty good rebounding wise. Uh, what did you think of Satu Sabali's game? Um, you know, offensively, I thought she had a very uh, uh, discouraging first half. You know, she spent a lot of time kind of early on um, standing around the three-point line, not really getting guarded out there. Um, I thought some of her decision-making, as you said, was not amazing. I thought she was more active off the ball in the second half. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned that she got to the free-throw line for, you know, 12 attempts, I think it was. Um, but she also got at least two other fouls in this game um, on the floor. Like, she just absolutely was way too athletic for, for this Washington team defensively I thought she did a really really good job on Maisha Heinz Allen um, you know Heinz Allen got her a couple times just in terms of you know driving to the basket and some offensive rebounds but uh, Satu you know hung with her really well and I, I thought that was really impressive um, you know she kept her off the glass individually in their matchup and um, you know Satu even if she did not necessarily contribute in terms of like her her scarring she was obviously a big point part of you know what Dallas was doing late offensively in terms of they were running a pick and roll with Satu Savali and uh, Arike Gumbawale every single time down the floor pretty much. 10 personal fouls drawn by Satu Savali in this game that is significant yeah that's, she, that's huge she was definitely a, a problem athletically just in terms of um, you know not only with the ball but also you know, fighting for, for rebounds and, and all that good stuff. So, you know, it was a, a little bit of a mixed bag, but definitely more, more positive than negative, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you mentioned this, this high pick and roll that uh, the wings continued to run with Rike Gunbawale and Satu Sabali. Uh, the Mystics really had no answer for it because they would just keep leaving Emma Miesemann out there on an Island to like, don't get me wrong. Arike was magnificent today. I don't think uh, it was one of those games where she was just, putting in everything she, she chucked up there. But I don't think this team is very well equipped to defend a player like her. Like they just don't have the athleticism to handle these, these ball screens and credit to Brian Agler. He knew that play was working and he just went to it over and over and over again and let his elite playmaker continue making plays. Yeah. And Washington, definitely a team that likes to switch more often than not, but I, I don't think that's like, eventually you got to stop switching that matchup. I think because they just kept going after it and, and Enrique was just torching Misaman, whether it was getting to the basket or, um, you know, just getting a, a little bit of enough space for the three pointer. But uh, you know, this was truly something that they, they ran just about every time down the floor late in this game. And, and, and they didn't even like, they knew Enrique was on fire and they did nothing to even really get the ball out of her hands. It was a very passive defensive strategy to me. Yeah, there was one instance uh, pretty late in the game where Atkin, Ariel Atkins did a really good job just like denying her when maybe brought it up. Um, and, and 
Dallas ended up scoring on that possession anyway. Um, but other than that, like, uh, yeah, like you said, it was just um, pretty, pretty easy for them, not necessarily to, uh, in terms of their scoring uh, or anything like that, but just getting exactly what it was that, that they wanted to do. Um, so also I thought uh, Kara Leslie did a really nice job in individual defense on Arike uh, early on in the game, but Washington ended up um, finishing the game with Jackie Jamalos over Kira Leslie. Uh, did you it have has, any thoughts on that decision? Uh, kind of another why for me. Jackie Jamalos, 27 minutes. Kira Leslie, under, under 22. I don't, I, I don't know what the benefit of having Jamalos out there right now is, unless like you're trying to not make the playoffs. But I don't, like, this is obviously a, like Mike Tebow came out and said it. He's like, yeah, we're, we're just looking at what we got right now. You know, we're, we're looking to rebuild. But you've got people out here playing over 40 minutes. Obviously, this went into overtime. Um, but, like, Show Sutton, who was signed as a replacement, only four minutes of play. Elena Coates still cannot get on the floor with a team that's, like, not trying to – I don't understand that one. But um, I don't know. I think we've seen what we need yeah, to see. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've seen enough out of that. But – I don't know, man. You know, in Mike Tebow, he really likes Kara Leslie too. I, I think he compared her to Bruce Bowen uh, previously in that she's like a legit three and D type of player, but you know, she's still just a rookie. So unless she's limited minutes still because of her past knee problems, I don't know. Um, I thought she was doing pretty decent, but they, yeah. you're right. They went with Jemilos and uh, did not get the favorable result. Yeah. And one other thing you had just mentioned, you know, um, Mike Tebow saying, well, you know, we're just kind of trying everything on here. Uh, as sort of like a, a rebuilding mantra, but you know, Misamin, Mitchell, and Leslie all played the entire first quarter. Like, it's not like they are just kind of playing everyone, you know, evenly distributed minutes. They were definitely trying to win this game. Um, so, anyway, wanted to, uh, what, what else do you want to go in this one? Well, I mean, to be fair, like Stella Johnson, one of the players they signed who was playing pretty well and could fit in a type of, well, maybe she can make the team next year is still injured um, with an ankle injury. But again, like the approach, I, I'm just not sure you, you said it, they were trying to win this game. They're, go, they're going for that eight seed, which I guess contributed to the exciting nature of this game. Cause like I said, early, I was worried like, oh man, this is going to be like that game. <laughs> the, the year before Brianna Stewart was, was drafted. It was the silver stars versus the Seattle storm playing in like the last game of the season. And, oh, my God, that was the biggest tank game I've ever seen in my life. Like, they're still obviously not trying to win that game. But this was super competitive, obviously. Um, in the fourth quarter, it was almost like, who's going to blink first, you know? I, I thought when Marina Mabry missed that uncontested layup at the end, I thought, okay, Washington's got this. That was it. Well, you know, Misaman missed the first free throw after getting fouled. Arike nailed the buzzer-beating three to no one's surprise. Because <laughs> that's what she does. But, uh, yeah, super exciting game. Really got our money's worth. Anything, uh, any micro-level things you want to talk about for this? Yeah, I'll just uh, kind of go through, I guess, the end of the game quick. Um, there's like about 30 seconds left in this one. Misamin uh, also misses what was pretty much a wide-open layup. Um, yeah. You know, I think she might have got followed from behind. Um, but uh, so there's about 30 seconds left. They take Kayla Thornton out for an offense-only possession for uh, Katie Lou Samuelson. Arike drives, gets her shot blocked. Um, Marina Mabry, uh, aforementioned, as you just kind of said, gets free as Misaman just with terrible p 
pick and roll defense, just kind of swats at the ball and, and kind of watches her go by. But Mabry, with Heinz Allen kind of in the neighborhood, just really couldn't finish it with the left hand. And um, Dallas has to foul with eight seconds left um, and a foul to give. Uh, they deflect the inbound on the next one, and eventually Miesemann gets it, as you said, misses her first free throw. So it's a three-point game, and Arike takes it the length of the floor, gets a little bit of a separation on. Did, did you think that should have been called an offensive foul on that Arike uh, – last second or, or that final shot from Enrique in regulation? Honestly, I didn't notice it until people were complaining about it after the game. So I would say no, but I, I did not really think that was worth calling a foul on. It was, uh, and to me, it was almost more of like kind of regaining her own balance more than, you know, kind of, uh, and, and her arm wasn't really like by her side where she was like extending it the entire way. Her, her arm was kind of already out there. So, it wasn't really a fall worthy call for me, but um, yeah, so th- that brought us to overtime. And then, you know, in the overtime, Arike just took over there as well. And she had uh, 39 points in the game, 30 of which came in the second half in overtime on 30 shooting possessions and zero turnovers oh, for nice. Arike in this one. So um, this is something I tweeted out, but it is remarkable just how seldomly Arike Agumbuale turns it over for a player of her usage. And, you know, it's easy to make the joke that, you know, you can't turn it over if you shoot over if you shoot. <laughs> but, you know, she's, she's a playmaker for this team too. And she didn't do a ton of that in this game. But um, nevertheless, uh, she is a uh, very impressive young player. I feel like they, they've found something with this uh, Mabry Ogunbowale backcourt. I, f- I feel like Mabry, at least offensively, compliments Ogunbowale very well. I mean, she, she does, um, I agree with you, just because she is such a, a good floor spacer. Uh, and she had that one sequence where she, um, you know, pretty late in the game where she had that block. It was, it was 81-76. This is kind of before the end of the game that I just talked about where she gets that block and then cans a three right on the other end. Um, but, you know, overall, I think the numbers, which are very, very favorable, are like a, a little bit misleading there. Like, I don't really know if Mabry is really contributing to Enrique's success that much, or if it's just maybe some, some good shooting luck, or if maybe Dallas's other options just aren't really that good. You know, Ty Harris, I think has been an impressive rookie. Um, and, you know, this is something I kind of want to dive into you with, uh, you know, some somewhere later down the line, you know, just kind of comparing the non uh, Sabrina and Kennedy Carter, like rookie point guards and kind of how they all okay. set up after, after year one. But um Nevertheless, you know, I think it, those numbers that are very favorable in terms of like Enrique's own efficiency with Mabry on the court rather than off, I think maybe oversells it a little bit. Okay. But right. I mean, I, I was just thinking that because Mabry is – because she is such a good shooter. Yeah. And they no, also do I, have I the familiarity. Yeah. They also do have the familiarity because they both went to Notre Dame. Um, I'm not sure how much that actually contributes to it. But um, I feel like right now she's a higher ceiling option than Ty Harris is. By that, I mean like offensively. Like Ty Harris, she's going to manage the game but Mabry is the type to make these big shots. Yeah, sure. And she is, you know, a a legit shooter. And this is something that I had said so frequently after her rookie season where her shooting numbers were were very, very bad, but you could always just like tell just watching her stroke it that she was going to, yeah, Yeah. she was going to start making these shots and and she's been good for sure. Okay. Um, let's not let Maisha Heinz Allen fall by the wayside here. She was amazing. Uh, 20 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, uh, in what continues to be a breakout season for her. 
I think probably you could probably say she was the Mystics' best player in this one as she has been all season. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I sure. thought Le- Leilani Mitchell was pretty good, but Heinz Allen I, and Ari Atkins, you know, was was pretty incredible too, but Heinz Allen was probably their best player, yeah. Yeah, Heinz Allen, um, such an impressive inside-outside game. You know, we, we didn't really have much of an opportunity to see this in previous seasons because there's always an MVP candidate playing in front of her, but she's gotten the ability to show some stuff off the dribble, some really strong post moves. She's really strong. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the three point shooting is really stands out to me in this one, the disparity wings, 10 for 24 mystics, six for 21. Well, hold on. Let, let's not move on from Heinz Allen so quickly. I okay, want yeah. to kind of talk a, a little bit about her. You did mention her, her inside out game. You know, if I'm defenses, I think I am just kind of okay with, uh, with her taking the three-point shot. Like, if she takes a three-point shot, like, you know, you'll you'll live with that and fight to see another day. If she makes it, she makes it. But, um, you know, overall, this game, I thought she really did a lot of her work. I had mentioned that I thought Sabali did a really solid job on her in this game. And I thought Heinz Allen really kind of put that work in um, on, Thor- on Thornton, excuse me, on Thornton early on and on Samuelson and Allery later on in the game. But also, like, broken plays. Like, Heinz Allen that's kind of where she really excels. Uh, if there's like a loose ball or if there's just like a defensive breakdown, like she's going to take advantage of those by, you know, just playing harder than everybody else and, and using that uh, strength and quickness to get to the front of the rim one way or the other. Yeah. Bountiful energy in Maisha Hines-Allen. She's, it's been really impressive. And, and she actually like, she was sitting out, like she asked for a sub early in the game. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if she was tired or she had like a, she had some sort of like monitor on her knee. I don't know what that was. And I was like, oh great. Maisha's hurt now. But she came back and she was, Make it, she was doing the dirty work, and she's putting up a huge number. So, yeah, another very impressive uh, game in a series of most improved caliber games, I would say. Maybe not the front runner for most improved player, but I think she's top two. Yeah, for sure. I think I still kind of go with – I go Laney. Uh, Laney, um, yeah. just because, you know, Heinz Allen, it's kind of more of a um, situation of opportunity. Uh, you know, granted, she was not very good in, in the minutes that she, she played last year, but – you know, Laney has been around for a while, and it's just a completely different player. And I think it's kind of more in the the spirit of the award, in my opinion. Um, I I did just kind of want to say one last thing, uh, if you're ready to move on. Um, the eighth seed, which these two teams are, you know, or were at least nominally kind of fighting for coming into this game, um, there's a good chance that the eighth seed this year is going to make the playoffs with below a 40%, like, uh, win percentage winning less than 40% of their games uh, to what I could find that has only happened one other time in the history of the WNBA. And that was 2010. The Sparks won 38% of their games. So um, we are heading towards uh, a near record of uh, futility for a playoff spot here, but granted, you know, you got to take into consideration. Short schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So um, want to talk about your uh, beloved Chicago sky now? Uh, no, but I guess we should. Uh, okay. Um, Chicago Sky had the nightcap against the Los Angeles Sparks. Hung in there for a while, but at the end of the day, it was the LA Sparks coming out on top, 86 to 80. Um, kind of a slower game than I expected in this one. Sky only managed 98.8 points per 100 possessions. Sparks 106.2. Um, it really came down to the fourth quarter, I think. Um, Sparks held the sky to just 10 points after being d- down by as many as 16 earlier in the wow. game. Yeah, it's it's a big swing. Um, but the Sparks are now fourteen and five. They still are 
a half game behind LA for or LV <laughs> Las Vegas for that number two seed. Um, Sky continues sliding. They are now 11 and nine and cannot get a top four seed, which really, really, really stinks because of, you know, the playoff scheduling and the buy rounds and all that stuff. Um, if I may uh, start things out here, I think this is just a really horrible matchup for Chicago. As a fan, I always put hate playing against the Sparks because I mean, Candace Parker, she's like such a load to handle. She always shows up to play against her hometown team, it seems like. And they can also, it feels like the Sparks this year right now, they can go small without real consequence because the Sky can't really defend the rim and they don't really have the athletes on the perimeter now either because Diamond Shields uh, left the bubble for personal reasons, as Ray Stevens uh, with a knee injury. So the Sky are pretty thin, pretty much everywhere. It's just, it's just a horrible matchup personnel-wise. I... You know, Sid Weiss did go down early with a very nasty-looking ankle sprain. She never returned. But L.A. was able to kind of weather that because they had the obvious depth advantage. They were able to rotate Brittany Sykes, Taya Cooper, and Raquana Williams and get something out of all of them. Whereas Chicago, I mean, you know, if, if Kelly Copper had a nice stretch to start the third quarter, L.A. quickly hit some three-pointers. But, I mean, they were outgunned in this one. Yeah, a couple of things I want to say uh, about kind of what you had just said. Um, with regards to um, this being a tough matchup, you know, particularly with Azra Stevens not with the team or, or out for the season at this point, like they just don't, Chicago just doesn't have the personnel to guard both Candace Parker and Neko Gumake, right? You can pretty much allocate resources to one or the other. And, um, you know, Ruthie he, Hebert just, she's not ready. Um, Cheyenne Parker and Steph Dolson, you don't really want to play those two together, you know, less than, than 12 minutes for Dolson at this point. And you had mentioned LA goes, can go small without consequence in this matchup. Well, you know, Chicago's backup units play small anyway, you know, with Gabby Williams primarily playing the four with kind of where they are from a personnel standpoint and who they have left on the roster. But um, yeah, Gabby Williams, uh, 28 minutes in this game. And then, the rest of the bench players, uh, less than 12 for Steph Dolson, less than two for Sid Colson, and five minutes for Stephanie Mubunga. So really, uh, this was a game that Chicago definitely, you know, wanted to win. They they played both, um, they, well, I should say they played Vandersloot, Quigley, and Copper all over 35 minutes. Um, and, you know, Chicago just doesn't have the the shooting. Obviously, you have one of the, the best shooters in the game, Ali Quigley, uh, five for 13 from behind the line in this one, but Kalea Copper and Courtney Vandersloot combined one for 10 from behind the arc. Um, and, you know, Gabby Williams was the one bench player, as I talked about, to, to not, I mean, to play any kind of real significant minutes. She's not going to take threes. You know, Cheyenne Parker went two for three. Um, I'm, you know, she's, she's a fine shooter, but she's not like um, someone that defenses are are rushing to to close out on. So, you know, you need more than one three-point shooter. And usually Copper will obviously give you more than, than 0 for 4. But even so, that's kind of two shooters and, and Vandersloot's around like 33%. Pretty much you can count on that for, for her from behind that line. So, yeah, the, the spacing just isn't there. It's That's also something I have. Uh, once again, they shot poorly from three. Eight for 27. Um, Quigley was five for 13. I mean, I enjoy seeing her get those three-point attempts up. But you're right, other than that, I feel like this team has, has almost like earned a reputation of being a really good shooting team, even though they don't really have that many great shooters. Um, and I think contributing to this is Stephanie Dolson not being able to stay on the floor just because she can also shoot, 
and she can set really good screens up top. But if she is out there fouling and, you know, playing horrible defense and just being unplayable in a matchup like this, you can't really manufacture three-point shots with this roster other than, you know, Elliot Quigley. Um, it, it made me think about, you know, someone asked me, I forgot who it was. Uh, you know who you are. But somebody asked me the other day, they're like, if you, if you trade Sue Bird for Courtney Vandersloot straight up right now, uh, who benefits? Who benefits more? And I said, well, the Storm benefit more because I am a homer and I love Courtney Vandersloot. But just imagine her being surrounded by more than one player who can shoot the basketball. You know, it's a, a team like this. And, and it's, it's clear, which is clearly built towards perimeter athleticism, which has now lost its best perimeter athlete. This team, man, I, I feel like it's the, the depth is pretty much just gutted right now, and I'm not really optimistic on their chances in the playoffs. They were gassed at the end of this game. They were tired. You could tell. Yeah, the Sparks just had more depth. Quigley had some, some really makeable looks late that yeah. uh, would have made this one a little bit more competitive that, that she couldn't get to fall. And, um, let me ask you a question, and maybe this is a, a dumb question, but um, I think it's one worth posing. Uh, who was the best player in this game? Uh, there are no dumb questions, but it was Cheyenne Parker. It was Cheyenne Parker. Okay. I think it was uh, Cheyenne Parker. Yeah. I mean, okay. Maybe uh, she had a really, really good first half. She did. She was somewhat invisible in the second half, I, I think, but I credit the Sparks for really taking away those post-ups. Like all the credit in the world to Cheyenne Parker, she pretty much owned Neko Gumake in the first half. You know, this is Neko's first game back from back problems, but Cheyenne Parker was really doing big work down there in the, in the post. If they were single covering her, I mean, she was getting it. She was putting them in the goal every single time with, with that, you know, step three move, the fakes with the left hand and everything. She was terrific. Um, I mean, Vanessa did have the 15 assists, but 36 minutes and through how much they run through her three for 10 from the field, one for, one for six from three. I don't know. She had her 15, she had her, her standard 15 assist game, but I don't feel like she made as huge of an impact on this game. You know, yeah, were, Cheyenne, you, were you Cheyenne, expecting something else? Uh, well, I thought Candace Parker was the best player in this game. Oh, oh, I thought you meant from this guy. No, obviously Candace Parker was the best player in this game on the floor. 24 points, 15 rebounds, 10 of 12 from the field. I mean, as I said, this guy had no answer for her. None. Yeah, no, she was terrific on, on both ends. Um, and let, let's talk a, a little bit more about Cheyenne Parker because she did have a, a career high 24 points. And, you know, um, she did not take a field goal attempt in the paint in the fourth quarter. And, you know, that was not entirely her fault. I don't think because, you know, there was one play in particular and I'm sure you, you remember it vividly where um, Parker got a mismatch uh, down low. I want to say Williams did it not. was, yeah. Was it Tay Cooper that was on her? I forget exactly who it was. I want to say it was Augustus was... because they ended up calling the foul. Yeah. On it was Augustus. Augustus. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you still got to get the ball. To shine. But that was after Williams had already passed it the other direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that that would have uh, almost certainly been a bucket. Um, but yeah, Cheyenne Parker was was terrific, um, and she was doing it. You know, her back to the basket. She was doing it with her drive game. Uh, you mentioned that that beautiful step through that she showed us uh, quite a few times, and um, her work on Neko Gumake as well, who was four for twelve from the field, and I believe she was two for eight uh, inside the paint. So definitely not the normal NECA game you'd mentioned she she's just coming back from uh, missing a few so um yeah let's uh continue talking about Candace Parker who I thought was incredible yeah this is among the best basketball I've ever seen Candace Parker play which is saying something she's a living legend one of the best players to ever play the game and I 
I forget. You asked me a question. You said, who are you more worried about? Diana Taurasi's health or Candace Parker's health? I forget who I said. Um, but it, it, Parker's health last year was enough to concern me heading into this year. Um, she's healthy. <laughs> she's, she's healthy. She is playing amazing basketball. I think she's leading the league in rebounding right now. Um, cause they got her at the five right now. And it's, she's a huge matchup problem. As you said, like you put it well, when there's, this guy didn't have enough resources to, to go at both Neko Gumake and Candace Parker on really both ends of the floor. Um, Parker, she had space to operate and she was taking advantage of it basically every single time. Yeah. And I thought she was um, a real deterrent defensively as well. Um, you know, offensively, she, she showed us everything, right? She was, um, you know, not her best distributing game, but she, uh, was kind of giving you all the the vintage Candace Parker moves. Uh, she got uh, Ruthie a couple times there. So, um, yeah, just, you know, she's playing amazing basketball, and, and I'm so happy that she's kind of uh, back to this level. I think what I had uh, maybe poised to you preseason was regarding her and Sue Bird, and I think your reasoning for being more worried about Parker was um, just that maybe Seattle wouldn't need Sue Bird as as much as – you know, LA kind of relies on Candace Parker. And if she's not this player, you know, they're kind of toast, right? So um, what did you think she, about? She is that player. Yeah, she is. She is uh, that player. And, and hopefully she'll be able to continue through the playoffs. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask what you thought about Chelsea Gray's game tonight. Uh, is this bait? <laughs> no, no, it's not bait. Uh, well, just because, you know, she, she was really um, – big late but yeah yeah she was you know she's she's too good to be like early on in the game like living off like long twos and you know Mm -hmm. Allie Quigley started her started kind of on her in in the first quarter and like you got to just put your shoulder into Allie Quigley and get all the way to the basket like what are you doing not being aggressive you're you're, especially a player of Chelsea Gray's size I mean that is her one big advantage scoring the basketball is her size yeah and you know they you know probably didn't want to put um Quigley on Sykes because of the athleticism uh, differential, um, you know, Raquana Williams, I, I think that would probably would have been a fine matchup for Quigley, but, but it was Gray who Quigley was guarding and she didn't really do anything with it. So, uh, you know, obviously she, she came up huge late in the game and, and hit some tough buckets. Um, but yeah, continues to live largely kind of in, in the mid range. And, um, when she's really getting deep into the paint, she's, uh, looking to, to pass. So, um, you know, she's, she's still a great player and, you know, one of the two best point guards in the league, if, if not the best, you know, they're, you know, I, I think kind of where I am is like Courtney Vandersloot just kind of gives it to you on a more consistent basis. And, and Chelsea Gray, when she's at her best is probably the best of the two, but Vandersloot is just kind of almost always at her best. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, I, yeah, Chelsea Gray, I mean, I've had a, pretty big problem with Chelsea Gray's shot selection like the whole season yeah. because this has been a trend for her is, is settling for these long twos and she made them tonight she was 8 of 12 from the field most of those coming down the stretch when the Sparks needed them so of course you know clutch Chelsea Gray um, that's what people will remember but I mean seven assists to six turnovers uh, she had that one behind, no look behind the back pass that just went out of bounds I'm not sure what that was she just doesn't seem locked in like she like I'm used to seeing her you know yeah and I think it started last year and it just hasn't really changed you know four four shots in the paint for Chelsea Gray tonight uh I wonder what else happened last year what what else changed for the Sparks okay I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that um (laughs) I didn't say I didn't say anything 
Uh, anything else you want to hit on here? Um, yeah, I thought Brittany Sex was bad tonight. You know, she scored bad. She scored efficiently, um, but she really didn't have. I, you know, Courtney Vandersloot um, did not have an efficient scoring game, but I did not think uh, Brittany Sex really prohibited her from getting to the spots that she wanted to get to on the floor. And obviously, she's still at the 15 assists. Um, so, you know, I, there's kind of a campaign for Brittany Sykes winning defensive player of the year that I have I, no I, idea. Where I that don't came really, from. Under, I mean, it comes from her steal numbers, right. And people, you know, the highlights of her getting the steals and, and running in transition and the she's chase definitely, down blocks. Yeah. yeah the, the chase down blocks and stuff like that. She's definitely a good defensive playmaker. Um, this was not her best game and I don't want to kind of make a, an argument against her candidacy just based on this one game. But um, you know, she, uh, is an up and down defensive player to be sure. And, and she's definitely been more consistent just in terms of those, pl- those possessions that she's not getting those blocks and steals uh, this year than, than she has been in Atlanta. But um, you know, especially when LA is playing Sykes and rough and Pratt together, like the floor gets real small, real fast mm-hmm. for this offense. And, and it happened uh, a couple of times uh, for them offensively where they were both on the weak side of the court and, you know, they were just being completely ignored and it resulted in um, uh, a NECA Gumake turnover specifically that I remember. So um, yeah, you know, she's, she, she makes a lot of plays that, that uh, look great. And, and I think overall she has been a positive contributor, which maybe she hasn't been previously, but there are still holes in her game. And I, I didn't think it was great for her tonight. I mean, she's not even the best defensive player on her own team, so I'm not sure what defensive player of the year stuff is coming from. But, I mean, you're, we're going to see more of this. I'm assuming Sid Weiss is not going to play in the next game. That ankle injury looked pretty bad. That, that looked um, bad, yeah. Yeah, ankles are not supposed to bend that way. So we hope that Sid Weiss recovers quickly and fully, but until then they're going to be rolling with Sykes, Augustus, Ruffin Pratt, Tia Cooper. Um, I continue to be pretty impressed with Tia Cooper. You know? Yeah, I wanted to talk about her a little bit because she was really good, I thought, defensively, and then she had her moments offensively. She had a huge um, N1 late in the game. Um, you know, she also gave up an N1, and Vanderslu ended up missing the free throw, but uh, she had that N1 uh, with about four and a half minutes left, uh, catching the foul on, on Courtney Vanderslu, and that got their lead to seven, and that up to that point was the largest lead that LA had and you know defensively she she's a really good player already I think she's just really good at the point of attack on both sides of the ball you know um and I I think she fits this team's identity in that they're just going to keep coming at you in transition both ways um you know her coming off the bench she's she's, they're going to throw her out throw her out there on the basketball and she's just going to make life miserable for whoever's she's guarding um like she's not a huge player but she really makes the most of what she's got you know, um, and I think she's a really, really good bag up. I, mean, I, I think the Sparks should be thanking their lucky stars that the Mercury cut her because um, she's making a pretty good case to be on this team next season. Yeah, and, uh, you know, she, she closed the game for them. Four assists, no turnovers, nine yeah. points on, on eight shooting possessions. They played her um, along Chelsea Gray, which, you know, you put Chelsea Gray off the ball and you run her some plays to get her the basketball against a player like Vandersloot or Quigley. That's, that's effective, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any thoughts about Chicago's uh, transition game in this one? It seems like it dried up late in the game. I, yeah. I don't, I don't have the numbers, but again, this just goes back to them not having any more depth. Like 
Kalia Copper played almost 37 minutes, and that's with her coming out of the game briefly with what looked like a hip or a lower back injury. So some, you know, just, just get rid of the charge. You know, <laughs> very hard collision between Copper and Sykes underneath the rim. They were both down for a while. Thankfully, they were both okay. But, um, yeah, the charge has a dangerous behavior. It's, it's like you're, you're, you're telling players to run into each other and fall down for the sake of drawing a foul. Like that's – you got athletes like this – that's it's like it's a train wreck right in you happen but yeah i mean copper might have played the whole game if it wasn't for that um gabby williams was effective in the first half not so much in the second half uh, no depth no depth yeah, steven this this team misses ezra stevens and, and diamond to shields uh desperately uh which is a bummer because um you know i think this team had a, a really high ceiling with those two players healthy um so nine and two they started nine and four they started nine and four. They are now eleven and nine. So, and they can't get that top four seed anymore, which means no buy, which means no rest, mm-hmm. um, which means you need to play Sydney Colson more than two minutes. I I don't care how bad she is. Um, I don't care how ridiculous the on-off splits with Courtney Vandersloot are. I don't think she's winning the MVP award. So, please look long term. That's all I'm asking. How are you feeling about a potential first-round matchup against the Connecticut Sun? It'd be good content. It would be good content. It'd be good content. Uh, mm, I, I would rather play the Sun than the Wings right now. Interesting. Yeah. I think uh, – well, actually, I mean, I think the Sun would still have the upper hand uh, as currently constructed because I can't believe I'm saying this, but, wow, I think the Sun have more depth or at least more functional depth. Um. This guy are not going to have an answer for Eliza Thomas at all. And they're going to have some good defenders to throw at this guy's backcourt. But on the other hand, Dallas, I mean, Dallas is a really high variance team. Like if you get a game like today where you've got, like the Sky aren't going to be able to defend an Enrique Savoli pick and roll either, you know, so uh, pick and roll either. So, hmm, I have to think about that one. I have to think about that one. I don't know. It's it's disappointing as a fan to see how, how far they've fallen, but it's like, it's not that it's, it's not like there's no reason for it. You know, this, this schedule is just so condensed. Some people are having better luck with injuries than others. And the teams with good injury luck, Hey, surprise are at the top of the standings. So that's true. But also, I mean, shout out to Minnesota just for, Oh yeah. I mean, they've been great. Currently yeah. the fourth seed. I Amazing. think, I think they've got a top four seed pretty much. I mean, they're, they're a game ahead of the Phoenix Mercury right now, which another team, which is kind of playing better with a shorthanded roster, which is kind of weird, but Eek. Are, are we going to say why? No, we don't have to go into it. Okay, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about the Mercury this episode. But, yeah, no, credit to both those teams for uh, finding their second wind and overcoming their injuries. Not easy to do. Um, not something the Sky have been able to do. So, yeah, the Sky fell to 11-9. and nine, Sparks improved to 14-5. and five. Um, I think that is going to do it for our game recaps. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, I don't think so. I think the next time that we speak, uh, we will um... – is the season over back then, by then? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll have to do some sort of end-of-season recap or awards because everyone likes awards. Everyone likes arguing about silly things. So we will go into that. Um, I'm sorry. There, there will still be game that will be um, just about the end of the season. It might actually be the last day of the regular season. Just about the end of the I'm clicking C more on the schedule, but it's not showing me more. So I guess that's so. It. I yeah, I have games up until September 13th. Okay, all right, that that checks out. Okay, so yeah, um, 
as always, thank you everyone, everyone so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, we always have fun doing these game recaps and what have you. We also value your feedback very highly. So if you'd like to hit us up, um, we're at Double Down WNBA on Twitter. One of us will answer your inquiry eventually. Um, or at Trinkwald or at Nemchak E, our personal accounts. We're also on Google Play and Apple. What, what do they call it? Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. They changed it. Uh, and Spotify. Everyone loves Spotify. So we're on Spotify. Um, Stephen, it's been a pleasure as always. It was fun. Nice it to be fun. back. Always. Um, okay. Thank you so much, everybody. And we will see you next week.